You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Well, good morning. I would like to have you open up your Bibles for those of you who brought them. For those of you who didn't, get your cell phones out and get your Bible app out. This is 2022. Get your Bibles out. Okay, so Psalm 23. We're going to start out in Psalm 23. So start there. Okay, and then we're going to then turn with me to Mark 5. So get, get your markers out, bookmarkers. And we're going to be in Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 5. And we're going to start out in Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And before we go to the Lord in prayer, we're going to go to Psalm 23. We'll go ahead and read that. And then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. But I'd like to say, first of all, that, um, that I'm very thankful for Pastor Rick this morning to give me this opportunity to, to share with you the journey that I've been on starting in about the middle of April. So just to kind of give you an overview of what our family's been through is in the middle of April, my son, 32 years old, father of three, great husband, he had just been asked to uh, become the youth pastor of Calvary Chapel in Ridgecrest, California, about a four and a half, five hour journey uh, east of here. That's where we raised our children there. And he was suffering from uh, just this awful sinus infection. It was so bad. He was, just, he was just so sick from the sinus infection. About four months before that, him and his family had gone through COVID, so obviously he really didn't think it was COVID-related. And So they went in, and when he went in, it, they tested him, and it turns out he got COVID again. And in fact, his whole family had COVID again for the second time. Well, this time he had the variant, the, D, the Delta variant. Well, this Delta variant... Uh, strain of COVID basically took him down, turned his lungs into Swiss cheese, if I could be uh, blatant about that. And, that. and that got us on this journey of, of, uh, of a time that I like to call a little stroll through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, with a group this size, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever had a stroll through the valley of the shadow of death? That should just about be everybody here. We've all known what that's like because, see, in about the middle of that journey, in the, in the, the end of October, last week I got over, um, because of what my son has been going through, and I'll get into that story a little bit later on, uh, my wife had a stroke, and it was a major stroke. And uh, by, a, by a miracle of God, there she sits right there today. I think she's going to recover completely from this stroke. It was a, yeah. And, uh, and you'll see here, she does the porch. She stands back there hawking her wares back there. So if you guys after church can stop by, we even got a Rick Soto book over there. So you guys want to check into that. So one of his commentaries that he wrote. And, uh, and so we, uh, we, we had that. And then, and then I know, and I know for some of us, this night might not be a big deal, but our little family dog, we had, she had to be put, put down. And, and I look at all the dogs out. There's a lot of dog lovers here. And you know, that might not be a big deal. But when you've just had a stroke and you're at home by yourself and that was your companion, it was hard. It was hard to lose little Mimi. She was a little, little uh, multi-poo, little cute little dog. And, and, and just when I thought we were climbing out the other end of the Valley of the Shadow of Death, in about the second week of February, my dad passed away. 
So life had to just turn around, come back, and kick me one more time in the groin right before you know, it all came through. And, uh, and as I stand before you now, I do believe that we have actually crawled out of the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. Yeah. And so, uh, and I will share some more about my son. And about three, four weeks ago, my son was in town, and uh, Pastor Rick had him up, and we got to embarrass him by getting him up here, and, and he went through a double lung transplant. And uh, at last check on Friday, he was down in Cedar sinai again, and, every, and he did another bronchos, bronchotomy where they take a little uh, biopsy of his lung, and they test it all. Everything's looking really good, so he's doing really well. So, yeah. So I wanted to kind of just take you through this little journey I'm on, and, and I wanted to read like a New King James Version of Psalm 23. Can, can everybody hear me back there? Is everybody all right? All right. So I'll try and speak up. I know it seems like every time a gust of wind comes through here, I'll try and elevate a little bit. Um, Psalm 23, and we all know this, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the, Lord, in the house of the Lord forever. And let me just say this before we go to the Lord in prayer. Is that that death is no longer our enemy, right? Because of the victory that Jesus had on the cross. All right, let's pray. Father, Father, I just thank you for the miracles that you do in all of our lives and the fact that you are with us every step of the way. And Father, be with us now. Open up our eyes, our, eyes, our spiritual eyes, our hearts, and just pour in your spiritual knowledge through the Holy Spirit this morning that we could walk away from the scriptures we're about to study with just a renewed relationship with you and, a, and a, just a, a deeper sense of trust. And I just ask you these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I printed out here a, another version of this Psalm 23. It's from the Amplified Bible. And, and, and it just kind of tells my story. And this is because I've had so many people come and ask me, you know, how, how are you holding up? How are you doing? You know, at the time I was going through all this stuff, I really wasn't so sure. I, I didn't really have this, this answer. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, it's not really the secret of my success. That would kind of be a, a misuse of what I went through. But, I, but at the end of this message, I'd like to give you kind of like the 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 reason or or the or the how did i do this how did our family make through, make it through this but let me take you on this journey first and let me just kind of take psalm 23 and just kind of let you know where my heart was as i was going through this because our foundation allows us to be different our foundation allows us to find peace in the middle of a storm the foundation that we stand on, Christ crucified, allows us not only to weather these storms, but to cause people to look at us and go, you're some kind of freak. 
There's something wrong with you. Why are you, ha- why are you at peace? Why are you able to manage this? <laughs> and the whole, and, the, and, and, you know, short answer at the very beginning of this, and, you know, basically I would just p- tell people, uh, I'm not. I'm not handling this well at all. I'm not okay with this at all. In fact, I'm a wreck. I'm just a hot mess here. Okay, but because of my foundation, because of the rock on which I stand, I was able to manage this. I was able to get through this, not only with a smile on my face, but with, but with thankfulness and gratitude on my heart for everything that God does for me. Here is Psalm 23 from the Amplified. The Lord is my shepherd to feed, guide, and shield me. I'm not in need. He makes me lie down in fresh, tender, green pastures. He leads me beside the still and restful waters. He refreshes and restores my life and my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, uprightness, and right standing with him for his name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear or, or dread no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to protect your staff to guide, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely only goodness, mercy, and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life. And through the length of my days, the house of the Lord and his presence shall be my dwelling place. My emotions are very raw right now. I'm still really not over this. So if I break down a few times, I'll just kind of like, you know, take a couple deep breaths. I had often heard, and I forgot to bring it, I had often heard if you bring a fork with you, okay, and you start to cry, just you give yourself a jab, and it kind of, you know, jolts you out of it, okay. And uh, I've, I've heard it works, but I kind of thought yeah, that'd be kind of weird, you know. You know, there's, there's Micah there. He's carrying this fork around. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so you know, at this time, let, let's go to Mark. Let's go to the book of Mark chapter 5. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to kind of help relate what's going on. Because I feel that this whole time I was going through all of this, what a time, what an opportunity for me to search the Scriptures. Because, because yeah... How many of you, and, and let me just get just kind of a little survey, a little show of hands. How many of you have, you have actually heard an audible voice from the Lord? Get a hand. That's a lot of you. That's a lot of you. You know, my daughter-in-law, Sarah, Gabriel, Gabriel's wife, my son's wife, she actually got an audible. And the audible that she got was at the very beginning of this, probably a few hours before they intubated my son to... Uh, uh, to get him on, the, you know, the beginnings of life support. She heard God say, I've got this. And, and it was like, thank you. But for me, I didn't get an audible. And I was going, what's wrong with me, Lord? How come, you know, how come you didn't give me an audible? You know, I've been serving you for almost my whole life, and I didn't get an audible. And she's a come, she's a, you know, come lately, and she got an audible. 
What's going on here? So I was waiting, I was waiting, waiting, didn't get an audible. But then the Lord reminded me, you know what? You've been in your word for the last, you've been in your word hard for the last 40 years. I've been giving you audibles every day. You guys looking for an audible? Break it out. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get some audibles. And then God speaks to basically me probably 99.99% of the time through his word. And that's a guarantee. Get in his word and you will hear God speak. And God spoke to me and he brought me to this passage. This passage in Mark, in Mark chapter 5. This is a sto- there's an actual story where we're in Mark chapter 5, the gospel of Mark chapter 5. Let's start in verse 21. We're introduced by a, a ruler of the synagogue by the name of Jairus. Okay? Remember the movie Spartacus? I am Spartacus. Everybody was, I am Spartacus. Well, today I was Jarius. That was me. I am Jarius. Starting in verse 21, we read, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jarius, by name, And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, fell at the feet of Jesus, and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I, be me, I, may, I will or shall be made well. You see, she had that kind of faith. She didn't need a laying of hands. She didn't even need him to know that, that she was there. And in fact, according to the Levitical law, she had a flow of blood. She was unclean. She wasn't even allowed to be in a group of people. She was supposed to cry out unclean, unclean, like a, like a leper, before she got into a crowd of people because she had that, that flow of blood. So quietly, she, she made her way in the crowd, and, and luckily, Jesus was passing right by her. Verse 29, immediately upon touching his hand, the hem of his clothes, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to them, You see this multiple thronging you? You know what thronging is? Okay? This is like Elvis Presley trying to leave the building. That's a throng. It's like everybody, ah, everybody just wants a piece of Elvis, right? So here's this, this throng of people, just, and Jesus walking through, and they just want a, they want a piece of Jesus. They want that healing. You know what the Bible tells us about the healing ministry of Jesus? All, all were healed. It didn't just say some were healed. They said everyone that, that Jesus touched or prayed for or came to Jesus, they were all healed. They all wanted a piece of Jesus. I could use a piece of Jesus anytime, right? I could use a piece of Jesus just to get out of bed in the morning. That's why a lot of people want to read their Bibles first thing in the morning because 
that way they can get up. Okay. And so uh, Jesus, in verse 32, said, And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the, but the woman, fearing and trembling, right? Fearing and trembling because she had just broken the law. Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. But, but everybody's turned their, their attention, they focus on this, this woman, and that caused Jesus to stop. But here was Jairus. My daughter is at the point of death. My daughter could die at any moment. Lord Jesus, will you come? Will you lay hands on my daughter before she dies? And, the, and, and he, I imagine how annoyed he was at this throng of people just surrounding Jesus, impeding his progress. And then just when they seemed like maybe they were getting some way, getting closer to Jairus' place, that, that now Jesus stopped. Who touched me? And Jerry, Jerry's was probably with the disciples. Everybody's touching you. Come on, let's go. Please, let's go. And he's standing there. And then, and then this whole scene plays out in front of his eyes, and he's probably, you know, going, his heart is broken. His daughter's dying. He needs Jesus. And while this was going on, verse 32, or uh, verse 35 says, while Jesus was speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as, and as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. That was my word. Do not be afraid, only believe. But see, here was my dilemma. Jesus is not only our Lord and Savior, the Son of God, but in John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Revelation chapter 4, all of those passages say that all things that were created were created by Him. He created me, and he created my son. But what am I to believe? Do, do, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe my son has eternal life. My son accepted you. He, his, his whole life, he has been a believer. He's been a Christian. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe you've got this. But what am I to believe? Am I to believe that you're going to heal him? Or am I to believe that uh, he's going home with you? On the night that my son was intubated, his doctor had turned to me and said, I had two days ago, I put your son's case before, the, before the, uh, a federal medical search. There's, there's a database that is a federal. It is, it is in the continental United States. And I have now made him a candidate for, for ECMO. And I looked at the doctor and I said, what's, 
as ECMO. And the doctor told me, without so many words, that my son's not going to make it. My son will die. But he said, we're going to throw Hail Mary, and we're going we're to go on a national search for an available ECMO. ECMO is an acronym for, for, let me just spare you, I can't even pronounce these medical terms, let alone, you know, tell, tell you much about it, but all I can tell you, tell you in short was, your heart pumps the blood out of your body into a machine, and this machine infuses the blood with oxygen and pumps it back in to the lungs. And this machine is, is basically whenever you have a, a heart transplant or a lung transplant, this is the machine that is the life support to, pr to perform these life change, these life saving operations where, where there is a transplant. I kind of was you know, stepped back a couple feet there and just, just what just hit me, what just hit me is if we don't find a machine, I just said goodbye. I just, I just said goodbye my son, to my son for the last time until we met again in eternity. About 24 hours later, okay, and trust me on this, I learned what a blood oxygen saturation was and what it meant. What we want, you and I sitting here right now, our, our saturation is about 100%. You breathe in, your lungs take that oxygen after you breathe in, and, and, and that oxygen gets, sent, gets put in your blood and it gets sent to your brain. And, that, and those lungs will keep you alive constantly. And what we take for granted when we breathe in is that we are giving 100% blood oxygen saturation. My son hung out between 70 and 80 at this point. 70, below 70 is brain damage territory. And, and as they prone him and they, and they would flip him around like a, like a uh, waffle iron. When, you remember those waffle irons that you get those fancy ones at, the, at what you call the uh, continental breakfast at, all the, at the hotels, right? You don't have them like that at home. We got this the lid, but you just you you flip the waffle, and my son was being flipped like a waffle every 12 hours to prone him to get his blood oxygen saturation up, to give him life, while he was being intubated. And that and and you guys remember your Star Wars? Yeah, well, I I have I have fun with my son on you know Darth Vader jokes still today. But he had that Darth Vader sound going on, and that's was just that constant breathing for him. That's what that intubator did. It breathed for him, giving him that, giving him that, that forcing that air into his lungs because his body couldn't could suck it in enough to keep that oxygen saturation going on. Well, about 12 hours after I had talked to the doctor, we got this call, and it was uh, what a glorious call it was. They have an available room with an ECMO in Las Vegas, Nevada. And they were going to, they're flying in a helicopter, and they were going to put him on that helicopter and get him out to Las Vegas, and we were elated. 
That turned out to be a disaster. When that helicopter flew in, I, got, I, le- I stayed behind to, watch, to be in the house with the grandkids. My wife and uh, daughter-in-law, Sarah, went to the hospital to see the transfer of Gabriel into this helicopter. Number one, this helicopter was not equipped. Number two, the two EMTs that, that came along with that were, were slight girls. And don't, don't get me wrong, they were, they were slight women. My son is six foot one, about 240 pounds. And they, could, they, they, were, they were having a hard time maneuvering him around. His bed, the bed that they needed to take him out of that bed and transfer him into the hospital, the, I mean the gurney that, that, came, that goes onto that, that helicopter, the equipment was not a match. In fact, they even dropped him once. They had to call more help in from the hospital to get more help in there to get him into that, into that and, uh, helicopter. And while that was going on, they were trying to figure out how we're going to swap all this, this intubator that was breathing for Gabriel, how we're going to swap that around and get him in this helicopter. And meanwhile, this was going on. His blood oxygen dropped to 30 Thank God that the attending doctor of the emergency room, uh, or intensive care, the intensivist that was on call that night, he aborted that. He said, nuh-uh. They said, this man gets on that helicopter, he's, he's dead before he gets to Las Vegas. And that was aborted. They had to perform CPR on my son that night. We thought we lost him. In fact, technically, he died that night. Sorry, it's like I said, it's real raw. My wife and my daughter-in-law come back home and told me this story. And they said it was a disaster. And we don't know if Gabriel's going to make it through the night. And I laid in bed, staring at the ceiling, and just wondering... Lord, what am I to believe in? And so I got a little audacious. I got a little bold. You know, I got a little bit up front, got in God's face. I don't advise that, by the way. That's really not how you do it. Because God says, I am, and you could say, I am, and you ain't, and you ain't. Because our creator is all that. But I said, God, you don't need him. What do you need him for? My son is a daddy. He's got kids between the ages of two years old and six years old. And besides that, you just appointed him youth pastor of Calvary Chapel Ridgecrest. What, what are you thinking? <laughs> My son has a purpose. We need him. You've, got, you've probably got a million of him up there with you right now. What do you need him for? Please, can I have my son back? The phone call never came. In fact, morning, the morning check-in from when the intensivist from the night shift changes to the day shift, we got that phone call in the morning and saying, Gabriel rallied. Not only did he bring him back, he, he's back strong. His blood oxygen is about 95 Two days later, he was on an airplane going down to Santa Monica, California, to, to uh, Providence St. John's, and they got him an ECMO. And I remember telling my wife, he's on life support, he's on ECMO. 
He could be on that for a year. It really doesn't really matter. They just, that ECMO will just do that job for him. And, who, and he can be on that for, they say as much, they've had people on an ECMO for as long as a year for various reasons in the past. My son wasn't going to die. Thank you, God. He let my son live. The road wasn't over yet by any, cha- by any means. In fact, for my son right now, who, like I said, he's doing real well. Th- this is still a long road in front of him, but my son, is, uh, he's, he wanted to come this weekend to see us because they go on spring break. His kids go on spring break this week up in Ridgecrest, and he didn't come because he is actually starting his youth group today. So, and so he says, I'm, I'm staying home because I start youth group tonight. Sunday night, and, and uh, it was like, thank you, Lord. We'll get back. I'm going to finish the story a little bit later, but let, let's go back. I'm going to go into the Word again. I'm going to turn you guys to, have you guys turn to the book of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. You guys go before me. Jesus told a parable. Turn, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 5. On the night that, Jesus, that Gabriel... Almost lost his life from that disaster of a helicopter ride to Las Vegas. I didn't want him to go to Sin City anyway. I just don't. Just I'm pretty glad. I'm really glad that God didn't take him to Sin City. I didn't really want to travel there every other weekend. So Santa Monica was much better. But on that next day, when Gabriel rallied, I got on the phone. I got on the computer, and I started making phone calls. I've been to call my friends. I called my church. I called other churches. We, went, we, we called everybody we can think of. We put the word out. We put the SOS out. We cried help. We cried help. And this parable that Jesus told, you know, I'm going to tell you what, what, what happened in my life. Luke chapter 11, verse, verse 5 and he said to them, which of you who have a friend, which of, which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer me from within and say, do not trouble me, the door is shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many loaves as he needs. In fact, you get me out of bed. If that's what you, you got me in the bed, out of bed, I say, here, take 10 loaves. Here, want some peanut butter? Here, some jelly? Just get out of here. Here, come into the fridge. You see anything in the fridge you want? Just don't knock on my door anymore. Okay? And what Jesus meant by this parable is that, is that, if you were just persistent, don't give up, never give up. I called, I yelled, I pleaded, SOS, help, please pray with me. And my goodness, did you guys respond. Not only did you knock on the door of heaven, it was this knock, knock, knock on heaven door, not that Bob Dylan song, okay? No, you guys were wailing on that door. You guys were beating on that door with your forearms and you were kicking on it. And this church, this church went before the kingdom of heaven and pounded on that door day and night for three months. It was incredible. 
In fact, I called my mom, told my mom what was going on. She was living up in Oregon. She started calling around. She said, I have, I have called some churches, okay, that, that used to go. I have called relatives. I've call, I heard names that I hadn't heard. I'm 63 now. I heard some names that I hadn't heard for 50 years. We called them, and we called them. And, and my mom said, we've got, I think we've got the whole entire country on their knees right now. Where's uh, uh, Lori Kennedy? She called Jerusalem. She had, she had people in Jerusalem on their knees for my son. It was just, it was incredible. I, could, I kept hearing from people. I'd, I'd see people that I, that, you know, from this church and from all over the place. I'd get emails. I'd get text messages. I'd, I'd get letters. We're praying for you. We're praying for your son. We're pr- I just carried over and over and over again. I was, I was just so humbled. I was just completely humbled by, by what I'd just seen. No, there's no knock, knock, knocking on heaven door going on here. People just get on. And my mom, even, and I wasn't going to correct her theology here. She, and she said this. She said, God has got to hear you. He's got to listen because we've got so many people praying. You know, I wanted to tell her that theology, that's really not correct, Mom. But you know what I said? I think you're right, Mom. <laughs> Mom, I think you got this right. God has got to listen. God has got to listen. So many people praying. Let's get back to Jarius. Let's get back to Mark. Verse 36. I'm going to start in verse 36 again. As soon as Jesus heard the word spoken, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. He locked eyes, and, I, and I'm going to paraphrase. He locked eyes with Jarius. Can you imagine that? Jesus Christ locking eyes with you, and he says, do not be afraid, only believe. Only believe. And you know what Jesus did then? His, Jairus' daughter was dead. You know what Jesus did then? He kept going. He kept going. He walked with Jairus just like he walked with us. He walked with us the whole way. Never once, never once did he leave us, and never once will he ever leave you. And he told, and he permitted nobody else to follow. So he turned around and told to, he turned around, looked at the throng. And he said, Elvis has left the building. Go home. No more, there's going to be no more. And he only allowed Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, to follow with him. Verse 38. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly. This commotion that Jesus walked upon, let me tell you this. The more important you are in society of those days, the more people that were wailing and, and, and carrying on and, and tearing clothes and throwing dirt in the air, the more loved you were. And he was a ruler of the synagogue. In fact, there was people that you could hire out Professional whalers. Can you imagine that? I sure hope that when, when at my, if, if, if the Lord tarries and I pass away before the rapture, which I don't believe is going to happen because I think the rapture is happening tonight. Okay? <laughs> Guys, you got to live like that, right? You got to live like that. You got to live like the rapture is happening tonight, right? Could happen at any moment. <laughs> 
But if, but if I pass away and they have a celebration of life, I sure hope Pastor Rick doesn't have to hire professional whalers because nobody shows up. <laughs> Come on, guys, show up. You're all invited, all right? So if I pass away, okay, you're all invited, all right? But, they, but I'm sure the professional whalers were there. They, they, were, they were out there in the street making such a huge commotion. Jesus walks upon that. And he says, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And let me tell you how broken up those people were about, about all their wailing. They immediately turned to laughter. Oh, yeah, they were broken up. They just started laughing at Jesus and, they, and, and ridiculing him. Verse 40, that's the ridicule. Who, who do you think you are? So they ridiculed him. But then he put them all outside. Now, I often say this when I get a chance to teach. When I get into eternity and there is a library in heaven, there's a lot of videos I'm going to check out. Okay? I am going to look up this video and I'm going to check it out of the library in heaven. I'm going to watch this because I wanted to see what it looked like when Jesus put these people out. What words did he exactly, did he exactly use? <coughs> did, he, did he just give them that look? I kind of think he did. You know that look. You guys, how many of you guys had a father who spanked? How many of you remember the day you didn't need a spanking because your, your, your dad gave you that look? Yeah, that was, that was the day when you basically wanted just to run, right? And I think Jesus, Jesus gave him that look and he cleared that room. Pardon me. <coughs> Sorry about that. Let me get this little, little commercial break here for uh, Kirkland Purified Water. All right. Verse 41. Verse 40, let me, 40, 40 again. Let me get, I broke that up, so let's do it again. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and they entered to where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, and I don't speak Hebrew, but which translated, he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl arose and walked, and I added in there and went outside to play. That's how complete of a healing this is. For she was 12 years of age. What else she was going to do? And Jesus said... Get this girl something to eat. She's alive, right? And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and that something should be given her to eat. On December 3rd, the night of December 3rd, we got a phone call from the hospital of Cedar sinai It was actually my own son calling on his cell phone. I got lungs, Dad. I've got a donor. It was actually the second time he had called about having a donor. So 
You know, something I left out, he, he was transferred to Cedar sinai to the lung transplant unit after about a month in Providence St. John's. And one little scare that we found out later on, we didn't know it was real time. We didn't find out in real time this actually happened, but they, he actually coded out because they had to replace his ECMO with the one that the transplant unit uses because instead of going in through his groin into the uh, major artery there in the groin, they had to go through the jugular. Uh, they actually lost him on the table when they were doing that operation. And number two, strike number two, he had lost his life again, and they had to revive him. I'm sure glad we didn't know about that until three days after it happened. I was already a wreck the way it was. I guess I didn't need to know that. God didn't need to tell me that in real time, I guess. Thank, thank you for his mercy. But on that night of, of December 3rd, he said, Dad, I got lungs. And they were, they've been in the lab for a while, and we didn't really want to say anything because the first time it happened, the, the donor lungs, about a week and a half before that, came into the lab, and they, didn't, they were not viable. Uh, turned out that they were smoker's lungs and that there was a clotting issue with, those, with that because with that, they, they test them quite extensively. But he told me the lungs are good and they're going in tonight. Twelve hours of surgery. My son had new lungs. And he has new life. And he came, he came like I said, three, four weeks ago. He was here. And, he, and I remember telling him, Pastor, Pastor Rick and the congregation says, I got, I got lungs. They weren't mine, but they are now. <laughs> he's got that sense of humor. And, um, and he's doing well. My wife, there she is right over there. She's going to make a full recovery. And, and the miracles that my family have received are, so, are just so overwhelming. And here's what I have to say about that. You can go through life and you can say, God, why are, you why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you doing this? And you can blame God for not preventing these things. But where in your Bible does it say we're exempt from pain and suffering and tragedy? Where in the Bible does it say that? And so, in fact, the Bible tells me just the opposite. We're, we're promised tribulation because we're Christians, number one. So not only do we have to go through the regular pain and suffering of just being a human being on this planet, tragedy and death, we get the double dose because people are going to persecute us because we're Christians. So don't think your life got any easier just because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior from, from being exempt from any, everything else that every human being on the planet goes through. I'm sure there are a great number of Christians right now who have lost their lives and there are those who have lost loved ones in the past month up in Ukraine right now. Those are brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering greatly. Okay, so there is no exemption clause in the Bible. Okay? But what a miserable human being that goes around and blames God for everything bad that's happening in your life. That is a miserable Christian. I refuse. I refuse to be that person. But rather be that person who when tragedy and tribulation and, and death and, and all these things that, that we go through in life, when these things happen to you, run to his arms. 
Run to your shepherd. Let him be your provider. Let him be your comfort and your strength. And why don't you just go and dwell in the house of the Lord because that's where you belong. Don't go looking around who to blame for what has happened. Look, you know, my help comes from God. That's where, my, that's where I want to look. Now, we're going to go one more place. I'm going to conclude with this. I'm going to conclude with this. And it's funny because where's, where's Dan? I know I see you sitting here somewhere. He was reading this passage in the, in the, in the ranch house this morning while I walked into the ranch house. And, 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 it's in, uh, and it's in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I thought it was interesting. I, I walked into the ranch house, and here's the very scriptures that I'm going to teach from this morning are being read aloud in the ranch house. Hebrews te- chapter 10, verse 19. We'll conclude here. Therefore, I, I'll let somebody, I, I know some pages are still turning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Are we there? Put your finger on your nose when you get there so I know everybody's there. All right, let's go. Therefore, brethren, that's you and me, having boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I believe, I believe that Paul is the author here. And Paul, he's so wordy. Do you notice that about Paul? He's the king of the run-on sentence. Okay? So let me paraphrase what we just read. All right? Now that you are born... In, okay, no, I got to do the therefore. Verse 19. Therefore, now that you're born again into the new covenant. That's what he just said. Okay? Simplified it for you. Now that we are born again, now that we are in the new covenant and we have our sins forgiven and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we dwell in the house of the Lord. Verse 23 then says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but extorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Let me read verse 25 one more time, and let's let that sink in. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Paraphrase again. Don't stop going to church. I have learned something. I shouldn't say I've lear- I didn't really learn this. It was what you call the great confirmation. When I needed you the most, you were there. So now I'm come to the part where I'm going to tell you the secret of my success, right? The reason why I make this. Pastor Jeff, there he is back there. Pastor Jeff Clay. He would always ask me, brother, bro. You know, that, you know it's him. Bro. 
how are you doing this? How are you holding up? How are you holding this together? He say that to me all the time. And I give him different answers all the time. But after, after this is all said and done, I've had a chance to meditate on this and to contemplate, Lord, how did I do this? There's a simple answer to that. And you know, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not, it's not real complicated. It's real easy. The answer to the secret of how I made it through this, our Heavenly Father is my daddy, and he gave me a wonderful family of brothers and sisters. That's how I did it. Yeah, that, that applause is for you guys. That is actually, that is, that is the secret of how I did this, because when I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the Bible says, thy rod and thy staff are with me. It should say, thy rod and thy staff and the, and the body of Christ was with me every step of the way. And you continue to be there. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.